Good morning. For those of you just joining us today for the first time, let me welcome you and bring you up to speed. We've been working our way through a series entitled Squad Goals, looking at how to make our relationships better, good, and even great. And today's talk is the final one in that series and focuses on compassion and empathy, essential components when we think about how to really care for and build into people's lives when they might be at their lowest point. So compassion is this idea of sharing feelings with someone, sympathy or pity, wanting to help them to share their suffering and sadness. And then empathy is that special ability to understand or feel what someone might be feeling or experiencing by actually sharing it with them in a very real and profound way. So it's this idea of connecting with another person through a genuine care for what they're experiencing or going through and then being moved by it. Two of the previous talks in this series have delved specifically into the ideas of time and listening, two skills and aspects of relationships that are vital if we want to cultivate compassion in our dealings with others, if we want to grow to be more empathetic and caring as we encounter those in our lives that pass through periods of real suffering and pain. There's one thing that's true of this life, it's that firstly, no one makes it out alive. And secondly, every single one of us will be touched by pain and suffering, heartache and heartbreak somewhere along the line. You cannot be a human being and not at some stage or another feel the brokenness of this world in loss and grieving and a heaviness of heart. Take a moment now just to think about a time when this has been true for you. Maybe it's even true for you right now. It might have been a loss through death, a long-term physical pain or illness, perhaps heartbreak of all kinds, depression, mental health battles, financial struggles, family strife, relationship breakdowns, loneliness. In many ways, the list is just endless, isn't it? Maybe that during that time you felt really alone and unseen, misunderstood or even uncared for. Or perhaps you were aware of the input of a loving friend, a family member, someone from church or work who really drew alongside you in your hour of need and ministered to you in a way that actually helped you to feel less alone or afraid. Someone who showed you that compassion that you needed at the time you needed it most. Someone who did what Jesus would do. And isn't that who we want to be to others? So, bearing that in mind, let's look at today's reading because here we have an example of Jesus himself in action doing just this. And our Bible reading today is taken from John chapter 11, verses 17 to 43. Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Notice here how Martha has misunderstood Jesus' meaning. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, echoing exactly what her sister had just said. I suppose this is the closest they come to telling Jesus off for how long he's taken to arrive. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And then he said this, after, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So we join the story to discover that Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has been dead for four days and Jesus has just arrived at the place where Lazarus had lived to meet with his remaining family, his two sisters, Martha and Mary. They told him that his friend, whom he loved dearly, was sick, and yet he purposefully takes a long time to arrive, by which point Lazarus has died. He then uses the opportunity to perform one of his most important miracles and raises Lazarus from the dead. But none of this before listening to the sisters and sharing in their grief with tears of his own. Okay, so how do we let people know that we care? If we're going to learn more about how to show real care and compassion for those in need, then let's look at the do's and the don'ts that Jesus models for us in this story. Firstly, do get actively involved. Jesus physically went to visit. He went to the tomb. He asked to see Mary, and he spoke to both the sisters. He's not a background player waiting for someone else more qualified to take the lead. We need to do this. Get actively involved as much as we're able and invited to do so. We need to be careful not to assume that others will be going and doing and visiting and caring, or that we're somehow not qualified enough to be a key player in ministering to them in their time of need. And this links to the next point. Do stand in the gap. There can be a gap that's created by suffering and grief, and we might all stand back thinking someone else is going to fill it. But it's for us to do that. We need to create that lifeline or bridge that may be desperately needed. See how Jesus steps in here and points them to his father time and again, making sure that they know that they are seen and loved and that all that's taking place is for God's ultimate glory. During the darkest moments of people's lives, we can stand in the gap and come alongside them. It's a duty, yes, but it's also a privilege. And it builds and draws us closer together in a way that shared joy can too. <clears throat> Next, do spend time and take your time. Don't rush the person or the process. Go at their pace and take their lead with gentleness. Look again at Jesus in the story. He doesn't come in all guns blazing saying, stand back and watch what I'm about to do. Save your tears, ladies. They are not necessary. 
No, instead Jesus meets up separately with first Martha and then Mary, and he waits for them to say what they need to. He lets them ask their questions and shed their tears. People will feel if you are rushed or unable to sit with them, sometimes even in silence while they process what they're going through. Bear in mind that grieving and healing can be a long and very slow process. It can be messy. And a lot of the time, people who have lost someone that they love will tell you that in the first days and weeks following their loss, there are so many people there around them, supporting and expressing sympathy. But as time moves on, so do many of these people and their support systems go with them. The loneliest times can be after all the outpouring of compassion and care has dried up. So when we get involved, we need to commit to the long haul if that's what's needed. It may even be years down the line that you're still checking in with your friend and finding out how things are going in this particular area of their life, how healing is taking place. It takes as long as it takes, but it's so much better with people who genuinely care and stick around for it all. People who walk the journey with us. Next point, don't be tempted to stand in the place of therapist or counsellor. If this is not what someone is asking of you, then don't be tempted to hand out advice, however well-meaning it might be. Jesus said very little in terms of words, if you notice. He didn't lecture them endlessly on where their focus should be or what might help. He was present with them instead. And that's not to say that there isn't a time and a place for sharing from your experience and helping with advice that made a difference to you. But it is that we should proceed gently and cautiously with this and be sensitive to the timing of when we're prompted to do so. Don't try to make sense of things that don't make sense. Let it be okay to sit with people in their pain without trying to explain it away, without trying to rationalize it or give reasons why it will get better or easier. If something, especially death, has happened that feels unfair or horrible or insensible, then let that brokenness be just that. Allow the person to embrace that pain. It's an important part of any healing process and it cannot be rushed. We want sometimes to will someone along because we find it hard to see their suffering and feel powerless to do anything about that. It's understandable. But remember that simply by being there, by showing love, by being love in action, you are doing something about it, which links to this next point. Don't be tempted to trot out glib catchphrases or cliches. Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew their suffering would soon be over, but he still sat with it. He still allowed their pain and sadness to wash over him and to feel it. Let's look at these verses again. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept, and then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. Christians believe that pain and suffering in this world is temporary and that ultimately it will be over one day. But that can feel like small comfort to someone who's nursing a broken heart or grieving the loss of someone who's been ripped from their life now in the present. To be sad is not a sin. To grieve is not a sin. If Jesus was moved to tears for the loss of a friend that he loved and to see the pain of the friends left behind, then we can allow for that too and hold it in that unique tension that comes from knowing that, yes, time can slowly heal and yes, suffering will one day come to an end. But right now, right now we can feel it in all its excruciating realness and we can let people feel it too. 
while we give them and ourselves permission to grieve and express it in the ways that come naturally. We want to say the things that are comforting, and there's nothing wrong with that. But telling someone who's hurting deeply and can't make sense of the pain just yet that everything happens for a reason, that might be met with an understandably frosty response. And it can also unintentionally make people feel that their pain is somehow inadequate, their faith, sorry, is somehow inadequate because they're struggling to see God in the suffering or to feel his love in the midst of their pain. On that note, please do be very careful about ever using the phrase, I know how you feel. It can be so alienating when somebody is going through something that is unique to them. While some aspects of grieving and heartache can be similar, it's more important to show someone that you get how they might be feeling, which is true empathy, than to just tell them this. If you remember what helped and what didn't, then live out those things for them. Obviously, if you've got experience to share, this can be so valuable and help someone to feel, not feel alone in their heartache. It's simply a case of treading sensitively and not letting your own experiences and thoughts on the matter overshadow theirs. Our pain and healing and the things that we learn for, from it should scaffold others in their healing journey, not take center stage during their crisis. Next, do let people see how their suffering affects you. And not in that, I know how you feel, my dog died too sort of way, but in a genuinely vulnerable heart that aches and weeps with them in their hours of need. Jesus is moved by the grief of the sisters and he weeps. He cries for them and for his friend. His tears come from a place of love and extreme empathy. He's moved and he allows them to see that. If, there's something that, if this is something you find hard to do or have no experience of, then that's okay. Ask God to soften your heart and give you his eyes and heart for people that you might be moved by their suffering in the ways that he is. And then don't be surprised when he sends hurting people across your path for you to minister to and care for in this way. Next point is, do pray. Jesus does this in verses 41 and 42. It's so tempting to say that we will be doing this for people. And it's almost a cliche of its own now in all circles. People say, thoughts and prayers, even if they don't actually pray. But we need to be people who pray for others that we love and are called to love. And pray with them too. There's something very powerful about asking people if we may pray for them, with them, in a moment when they need it most. Often, hurting people will find it hard to find the words to talk to God. It can be comforting and so reassuring to hear someone who loves him and them interceding for them. That means praying on their behalf. If you commit to pray for someone, then do it. Set a reminder on your phone if you have to. And let them know if God lays anything on your heart for them. It could be a verse or a picture that he might send to you. When Alex and I were really struggling with the pain of not being able to start our family and have a baby of our own, we made use of the wonderful counselling service that's available here at the church. And we spoke to a lady called Alison, and she was wonderful. One of the things that I said to her was, you know, I find it so difficult. So many people will come up to me and say, we have faith and we believe God will do this for you. And we're praying for you. And I'm just finding it so hard to do that for myself. And she said something that I've never forgotten. And that helped so much, and I've been applying it in my life ever since. She said, let other people do that for you. This is what being part of the family of God is about. If you cannot do it for yourself, let them have faith for you. Now is the time for you to be carried by others. So this, this lesson is something that we can apply here. Let's carry people when they're not able to do it themselves.
Next point is do express love in the ways that feel natural to you. If you're not a words person, acts of kindness are wonderful. If you've got only time to give, give it generously. Literally sitting with someone and being an available ear to them can be the difference between them feeling alone in their grief and suffering and feeling seen and cared for. If you don't have or can't make time, then gifts and messages, especially regular check-ins, are valuable ways of showing that you care. Which links to the next point. Do listen before speaking. Notice how both times on meeting the sisters Martha and Mary, Jesus waits for them to speak first and tell him what's on their hearts, letting them express their emotions. We need to do this too. Allow space for your friend to talk about how they're really feeling. Give them permission to be brutally honest. Don't be tempted to fill silences too quickly. Listen actively where you can. That means asking questions and not just making assumptions. Ask questions about what the hardest part is for them or what they might be needing. Often people will say something sincere like, I'm here if you need me. And while that's a lovely sentiment, real compassion goes further than that. It seeks out ways to be there for the hurting one. Can I bring a meal over for you tonight or sometime this week that suits you? Or I'd love to feel useful to you in some small way right now. Will you allow me to do your washing? Take the kids out for a walk or the dogs? Be creative. Send flowers by all means, but be there long after the flowers have died. And as we said before, often, especially in the first few days and weeks after a death or a huge loss, there's lots of interest and support from people around the grieving person. And then over time, things get back to normal, except that it takes much, much longer for things to get back to normal for someone whose life has been shattered or turned upside down. So keep checking in. Keep letting them know that you're there, that you're available and listening. Ask the questions. Give the time. Listen, really listen. And let them talk when they're ready and able. Sometimes the talking will bring fresh hurt to the surface as they process things aloud. And with it, also tears. Sometimes it will feel like they're stuck and unable to make sense of it all, but keep letting them talk. Talking oftentimes brings healing in and of itself. It can help to ease a burden just by sharing it, but it can also help to clarify a problem or bring a very real and big fear into a measurable perspective. Talking is where it starts, so give people that platform and all the time that they need as often as they need it. And as a side note, don't you just love how practical Jesus is right at the end of this account? Once Lazarus is alive and standing before them, he issues the instruction to take off his grave clothes and let him go. And I think that this is probably because the people who are witnessing this were no doubt stunned and overcome with emotion, so they needed the very practical grounding words of what to do next. And this can also be a good way for us to proceed with those who are lost or hurting in their situation so much that they can't see the next step to take. We can offer them a hand as they navigate and seek out what small steps look like when it's time to take them. The next point is do bear in mind that grief and suffering can distort people's view and responses. They can be so changed by it that they can seem unrecognizable. Allow them the space to process this. We see how when Martha meets Jesus and he speaks to her, she misunderstands what he's saying. Her grief is probably clouding her mind so that she cannot instantly grasp what he's saying to begin with. She thinks that when he speaks about raising her brother from the dead, he means on the day of resurrection in the distant future. Jesus tries to gently correct her and show her that he's actually offering to raise Lazarus from the dead on that very day. But he doesn't press the matter with her. He lets her run ahead and call for her sister Mary to tell her that their friend and Messiah, Jesus, has arrived. Jesus is patient and understanding. We need to be patient and understanding. Allow people to be just as they are, which links to 
don't take things too personally. When people are in a tough spot, they can sometimes lash out at us or withdraw into themselves. It's not the time for us to criticize their emotional response, but rather to show compassionate understanding. When Mary arrives and meets Jesus, her first words are, but if you had just been here earlier, then he wouldn't have died. She's distraught, she's hurting, and maybe even a bit annoyed that Jesus hadn't prioritized getting to Lazarus sooner, because then he could have been saved. Notice that Jesus doesn't defend himself or chastise her. He's troubled and moved by her pain, and he asks her to show him where her brother is laid. We need this approach too. Keep trying to see the heart of the person. Look to their raw pain and be moved by it instead of being sensitive to their treatment of us. And finally, do ask God to give you a heart of empathy for those that you love. He will give you plenty of opportunities to grow in this way. We will see so many hurting people when we start to look with his loving and compassionate eyes. Let's look to build strong relationships during some of the most difficult times in our lives and the lives of those that we care for and love. Let's pray. Father God, our pain and hurting matters so much to you. You know what it is to weep, to cry with pain both for others and yourself. Thank you for giving us the capacity for great compassion, the capacity to love and be moved by the suffering of others. Lord, soften our hearts and open our eyes to it and all the ways that we can be you here and now for those who need it most. I pray most especially today for those who are in the middle of something so painful that they wish they could escape from it and breathe freely again. We know that healing can be too slow sometimes for our liking. Please bring others who can be your love and healing into their lives. Let them know that they are not alone however much it may feel like that in the dark moments. Lord, give us opportunities to love as you love, to reach beyond what might be comfortable to us in ways that comfort those who need it. And we ask this in your name. Amen.